This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. The first season of HBO's White Lotus chronicled the visit to a Hawaiian resort of a select group of the very, very privileged, a tech mogul and her family, a pair of newlyweds having second thoughts, and an heiress who's grieving and in need of therapy. When I saw my mother's ashes hit the water, you know, I just, uh, just reminded me of, of, you know, sprinkling fish food in an aquarium And I was just like, oh, my God, you know, am I feeding my mother to the fishes? All the while, the resort's manager is having a complete meltdown that's both hilarious and kind of harrowing to watch. New Yorker staff writer Nomi Fry called the show a near-note-perfect tragic comedy. When I first watched the first season of White Lotus, I was really interested in its combination of scathing critique and kind of just basic plot enjoyment, right? So it was about watching a bunch of rich people in a luxury resort supposed to be having the time of their lives And through a series of events, having like the worst time of their life, pretty much. But it also said something bigger about where we are right now as a society. And I think it's 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 fairly rare that a show manages to do both of these things without being too ponderous or too flimsy. I think one of the things that interested me to talk about with Mike White, he's a very successful writer and creator. He wrote movies like School of Rock. He's a very well-respected and successful screenwriter and producer. But another funny and interesting thing about him that maybe some people don't know is that he's also a huge fan of reality competition shows and has even participated in a couple of those shows himself. He was on Survivor on the David versus Goliath season a few years ago, and he was also on The Amazing Grace where he partnered up with his father. And the issues that come up in those reality shows that have to do with status, competition, power relationships between people are also, I think, evident in, in White Lotus and what he does in White Lotus. Season two of the show has just premiered, set this time in Sicily. Nomi Fry sat down with the creator, Mike White. Oh. 
was it your hope from the get-go that this would be part of a kind of series? Like, okay, each season will concentrate on another location and the connecting thread would be that these are all part of this, like, franchise, you know, hotel franchise, basically. You know, to be honest, the first one was just such a one-off flyer, you know, like, there was no big design to what would be, you know, what would follow. In my mind, you know, I'd always tried to figure out how to do this. Like, I was on The Amazing Race, and it was like, when I was on The Amazing Race, I was like, how can I... With your father, right? Your father was your partner. And so I was always like, this is so cool. I would love to be able to simulate this in my own, you know, wheelhouse of, like, yeah, scripted stuff and figure out how to travel and go new places and, and have, you know, a kind of life adventure while I was still trying to make something, you know, artistic. Like, I had this idea for a honeymoon show, which was, like, basically okay. me getting okay. to have this amazing race experience where, you know, it's like a couple on an ambitious honeymoon and you follow them and one of them realizes that, you know, they don't, they now they know the person in a way that they didn't know prior to traveling. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but then in the back of my mind, I was like, well, maybe we could do this again, new characters... So, like, the misbehaving actors from the first season that I I don't want to bring back, I can just (laughs) dump. Not that there were any, (laughs) but, like, it's just that idea, like, I can start fresh. I'm not somebody who, like, is really that interested in, you know, keeping a franchise going creatively. Sometimes it just feels like I don't want to, like, because after a while, that just feels like a job. Yes, yes, yes. So like it's like I don't want a job. So like so like so yeah. So this felt like great. Like I could bring in new people, tell a new story, go somewhere new and I mean to me that's like cracking the code for just my own personal like druthers. Because you like to travel? Uh, well, it's just I mean like thing? yeah, like the experience we had in Sicily just like I mean like that's I mean I, I could start crying. Like it's just like just to be able to, yeah, like, I mean, this that's the life I always, you know, always wanted as, like, a, whatever, a middle-class kid growing up in, like, a homogenous Pasadena. It was just, like, go and shoot in Asia. Go shoot in, you know, you're, yeah. you're like, like, get out of, like, my little, yeah, and... And now I'm spoiled, so it's like I, I I think it's like unless it's like firing on all of these like lifestyle pistons, it's just <laughs> it's not enough. Or just like forget it. So yeah, I never want to like drive on the 405 to like a stage in Burbank again. Right. I sound but in like a such way, a douche, it's, that's but. interesting because in a way that kind of parallels the experiences of some, at least some of the people who are you know, some of the characters on the show, right? The idea of being able to leave your life behind and go and, you know, become this new thing is something that the show is kind of about in a way, right? Like this, does that idea interest you? Like traveling, especially vacationing, it's very ripe with just existential the existential experience, which is like, who am I? What do I want? Like, what do I want? And like in a vacation too, it's like you're seeking pleasure. You're seeking some kind of, I don't know. It sounds, I I always feel stupid talking about, but like I do no, like, no. Ex, I do like existential like comedies or what. It's like that people who mm-hmm. are like searching for meaning in their life and like how, what is the life I want to live? How do, and, and not so much situational stuff. So I just felt like I was like, this is, this definitely feels like it's of a piece 
of of the kinds of things I like to get into in you know when and when I write. Screenwriter and director Mike White talking with Nomi Fry. We'll continue in a moment. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc., copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. I'm Roz Chast from The New Yorker. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. They are one of the largest recipients of NIH funding. Their scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute has been making one advanced cancer discovery after another for over 75 years. At Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, what we do here changes lives everywhere. Find out more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. On Radiolab. First, we thought we made some sort of mistake. Two surprisingly simple scientific discoveries. This is crazy. I mean, we were just so surprised. That makes us reconsider our assumptions about progress. We need to learn the language of the doctors of that time. We need to be a little bit less dismissive. Staff retreat from Radiolab. I learned a bit of humility this way. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Did you write, I know that you wrote the first season on your own, which is not completely typical, I think, right? Is this, did the second season, did you write it on your own? Did you have a writer's room or? No, I I, I used to have a writer's room when I first started making shows. I I mean, I only made four shows, but the first two had writer's rooms. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. I found it to be very, um, you know, the writers would write their scripts and I would look at it and I'd be like, this isn't written by (laughs) by me like I just it was like it wasn't alive unless I was immersed in it somehow it's the part of the job that I you know is I don't want to subcontract it out you know it's like I don't really yeah it's just like I come to I'm not I don't see myself as a producer I look at myself as a writer who is finding different ways to do it and and so Mm -hmm. yeah so I, I, I for me it was like over time I realized like yeah it may limit limit the show's point of view it may you know there's criticism that comes i guess especially lately of someone being the sole like kind of creator but i but for me i if i wasn't able to do that i would just go write something and i'd go write a book or i'd go i'd go do i'd find some other medium because i just i just don't really i don't want to like interpret someone else's writing you know i mean that's just not what i'm about Right. Although that's interesting because I know you to also be 
a very successful writer for hire, right, on other people's projects. Yeah, which is um, the writing part. But like, sure. I've never really directed somebody else's work or... I, I mean, I've produced, yeah. but I hated it. So like, I... So yeah, it's just like I can I, I like kind of being helpful in those situations. Plus, it's nice to get paid. So so let's talk a little bit about this season. It seems that the focus, the thematic focus, it's more about kind of sexual politics and the ways people interact with each other and have conflict with each other and have conflict resolution with each other and, and, and so on is through the sexual realm. Yes. The first season, you know, was a lot about money and how it impacts all relationships. And because we shot in Hawaii, it did, you know, obviously get into colonialism and like, you know, different kind of macro elements of that same idea. And I was worried about like trafficking in that again, because I was like, I'm just going to get dragged. Like I was already like, it was just like, we, I felt like we got through the first season just like by the, yes. the skin yes. of our teeth. Like just because it yes. was just like, you know, I don't know, like, yeah, just the, I mean, and, and there were like, you know, fierce criticisms from certain people about me yes. as a as a creator touching on these topics and as a and, as a white as a white man and so on yeah exactly um, and and yeah. and so like and so you know i i i didn't know if i had the stomach to go through that again and i also felt like i was like i you know it was like i was like i think we need a new theme in general you know i had a different idea you know but then when we got to sicily there were all these tested demora heads and like mm-hmm. and the tested demora is about sexual jealousy and mm-hmm. f- adultery and i just was like well that's maybe that's where we start this you know that, that there's a, still this unfettered machismo that you kind of associate with sicily and like yeah. this kind of you know this like old world way of dealing with you know like um issues and like this kind of like patriarchal like like street uh mm-hmm. you know way of of handling conflict and like and so it's less it's less woke than a quote-unquote than america uh certainly in the imagination yeah and also it's just like yeah for some it's like a nightmare and for some it's like a sort of bucolic fantasy of how like men could be still be men and you know sure and so it just felt like i was like well this is kind of funny to and then and then i had this idea of like yeah three generations of like american men uh, you know, in different stages of their relationship to being a man. So yeah, I I kind of pivoted to to that theme. It just seems like the body would naturally stop getting horny once you're past the age of procreation. You know, like at fifty, you would just stop. Fifty, fifty's not that old. It just seems undignified. I'm still virile, by the way. I could still impregnate a woman. Oh, no girl should have to be exposed to an old guy's junk. It's not like it was ever so beautiful to look at anyway. I mean, it's a penis. It's not a sunset. The thing that always interests me about sex and I think is what is saturates the show is this kind of the animal in us, the monkey, the monkey in the man, you know, and and how as much as we want to be virtuous or dignified or, you know, um upstanding individuals there's this antic force in us that like you know motivates us and 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 pulls the rug out from under us and and i 
without sounding Freudian, it, it just, I just think that imbues life, uh, you know, in every, you know, actors talk about what are my, what's my motivation? And it's like the motivation of sex is always like primary, I think. Right. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing more interesting than sex and money, <laughs> I think. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> it turns out that's true. But, you know, speaking of money, and I know you've spoken about this a little bit, uh, about what it's like, you know, being interested in writing, you know, and making a show about people, uh, about status, right? About status, money, power. So so dealing with that, but also being at a point in your life in which you yourself are, you know, quite powerful and... Uh, <laughs> Our listeners, you know, can't can't see. I, I can see Mike on the Zoom, and his his eyes are opening wide, and his his smile is, uh, you know, ex- explosive, absolutely explosive. But no, but I just mean, I mean, you can you can you can admit that you're you're coming to to writing about this like knot of issues, not from the place of like you know, a kind of aspirant, but yeah. as as a person who in some ways has arrived or maybe you never one never arrives you know maybe maybe that's another I thing. know I mean it's it's definitely why uh, you know sometimes criticism is lobbed just as a person going through the world and being seen in a certain way I'm my um observations or what I'm creating is suspect <laughs> because yeah I have right money and I haven't given it all away. I have, you know, I'm not walking (laughs) with the poor. Like my dad always told me that, you know, we were supposed to, if we, you know, like my dad was a minister and was like, you know, he didn't believe rich people should even own houses, you know, and I grew up in a rich community, but we were not rich. And so like, I, I, I always was fascinated and kind of repelled by rich, uh, the rich people. Like, I guess, I will always see myself as someone from the outside looking in, whether I'm yes, am, I'm yes. not that or not. I think it holds true to just my writing in general, which is like I I like to see put out the like the flawed human characters, you know, like and not mm-hmm. try to create idealistic flattering characterizations of people but at the same mm. time f- see that they are hu- human you know like or whatever i don't know how to do it any other way so like it's like either just don't like don't come to my class or like <laughs> or yeah. whatever it's no just, i like, know i mean i think i think it's honest i mean there's a thing I, I often say to my husband which is like the first step is to admit that you're part of the problem and the problem um, is as and, old as time itself you know it's like it's not like yeah. a, i mean i you know it's this is a this is like a <laughs> this is like a historical reality that like i'll i will never be pure you know it's it reminds me of like survivor which was like i went on survivor yes. and like you see yourself as the underdog of the story and everyone does like it doesn't elon musk i'm sure feels like he's the underdog of the story like he's coming in and he's yes. changing the system and like he's you know finding all these obstacles and like he's going to come in and he's going to be the fighter and then it's like so it's like and everyone feels that way so i feel that way i feel like i'm like this weirdo kid who like never like fit in i was like this weird writer like and it's like and then and and it's and then i get on survivor 
Survivor, which I've always been like, oh, that'd be so cool to play. And I've always identified with the underdog. I've always fought, you know, yeah. wanted the underdog to win. I just naturally associate with the underdog and gravitate to those stories. And then you get on there and they're like, oh, you're a Goliath. And I was like, I'm the Goliath, what? And then you're like, oh, yeah, I am the Goliath. And not only am I a Goliath, but I am the, I am the heel. I'm the villain in this story. Like, there's like, all, I look you're across and I see all of these, uh, you know, Davids. And I'm like, oh, this is a story about them overcoming me. And I'm the bad guy. And it's like, and I see that writ large in my own career, which is like, you know, it was always this, like, you know, whatever. Like, this outsider who wanted, who was determined to write stories that did not, like, you know, we're not about the beautiful people. We're not about like the, well, it wasn't about sex and da, da. it's like, and here I am. And like my, the biggest success of my career is about writing about like, yeah, like hot beautiful people, people on fucking vacation. in paradise. And it's yeah. just like, there is a part of me, the 22 year old in me is like, what have I done? At the same time, it's just like, <laughs> well, this is just this natural, st- <laughs> this is the natural, like, like stage of life. Like, I don't know. I'm just going through yeah. this. And it's like, yeah, you can reject me, you know, go ahead. Like, whatever. I Like, it's like, but I, but that, Never. you know, it's just, I just feel like I'm being true to wh- what I'm seeing around me. I, again, I, I hope that I'm not writing this show for the rest of my career or, or, or that I can, you know, expand beyond whatever the ideas right. of this show. But, it, but it does right. feel like it's like, if you're taking a snapshot, you know, I'm, I am being true to like the things that I'm thinking about right now. Mike White speaking with staff writer Nomi Fry. Season two of White Lotus premiered last week. I'm David Remnick and this is the New Yorker Radio Hour. See you next time. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Our theme music was composed and performed by Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards with additional music by Louis Mitchell. This episode was produced by Emily Botin, Brita Green, Kalalia, David Krasnow, Louis Mitchell, and Gofen Putabwele. Along with Jeffrey Masters, Will Coley, Jenny Lawton, and Michael May. And we had assistance from Harrison Keithline, Meher Bhatia, and James Napoli. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Charina Endowment Fund. 